Chapters 1 to 5 of North Lancashire, Cambridge County Geographies by J. E. Marr. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cambridge County Geographies, North Lancashire by J. E. Marr, SCD, FRS, with maps, diagrams, and illustrations. Cambridge at the University Press, 1912 Preface I wish to thank Mr. K. J. J. Mackenzie, M.A., for information concerning the agriculture of North Lancashire. I am, as ever, grateful for the courtesy of all connected with the University Press, with whom I have been brought into contact while the work was in progress, and must specially thank Mr. H. A. Parsons, who undertook the production of the diagrams at the end of the book. J. E. M. May 1912 Chapter 1. Lancashire, Origin of the Word As Englishmen we are proud of our country, and we all know some of the reasons which led to the growth of the English nation, and caused its people to occupy that particular tract of country which they today inhabit. Each of us, further, is proud of his native county, Many people of all ranks, for example, young and old, take an interest in the annual struggle of the counties for supremacy in cricket, yet comparatively few know the events which have caused our country to be separated into those divisions which we term counties. The irregular boundaries of these counties, which are so great a stumbling block to the young student of geography, suggest that the causes which led to the making of a county are by no means simple. At the present day, when divisions of a tract of land are made, they are often very simple. Look at the line which divides Canada from the United States. For a long stretch it is straight. Many of the smaller American divisions are bounded by straight lines. So in our country, new towns like Barrow-in-Furness and Middlesbrough are built with most of the streets in straight lines running at right angles to each other. In these cases, the whole scheme of the parcelling out is planned before the division is made. But in the case of many of our counties, there was no such principle of arrangement. They gradually grew up under varying conditions, and the boundaries were shifted more than once. These boundaries have usually been determined by some physical feature of the country, which could be readily utilised, and often formed an actual barrier between adjacent divisions. As we shall see later, Lancashire, and also the northern part of it with which we are specially concerned, is separated from the adjoining counties along part of its borders by hill ridges or by streams. Many divisions of this portion of country which we call Lancashire were made before its present boundaries were fixed. All of us must have observed that the names of many counties end in Shire, as Lancashire and Yorkshire, while others, as Cumberland and Westmoreland, Kent and Essex have not this ending. Shires are tracts of land which were created by the Anglo-Saxons, the word itself being Anglo-Saxon, and meaning that it is a part shorn or cut off from a larger tract. The term county is from the French word Comte, a province governed by a count, Comte, and it did not come into use until after the Norman conquest. Such counties as Essex, Kent and Sussex have kept their names, and roughly their boundaries as well, from the earliest times, and are survivals of former kingdoms, 
while Cumberland and Westmoreland were not completely separated from Scotland to become entirely English until after the Norman invasion. The name Lancashire was derived from its old capital town, Lancaster, the Roman castrum or camp on the Loon, from whence the names Longcastra and Lancastra afterwards changed into Lancaster. Lancastrashire was afterwards shortened into Lancashire. Professor Skeet informs me that no one knows anything about the meaning of the word loon. The statement that it is a British word is only a guess, and there is nothing to show that it is British. Lancashire is not a shire in the sense that it was divided from adjoining shires in Saxon times. In Doomsday Book we find the lands of the southern half of the county treated with those of Cheshire, and those of the northern half with those of Yorkshire. The boundaries of the county were practically fixed in the reign of William Rufus, but in that of Stephen, the King of Scotland obtained possession of the territory north of the Ribble, and it was not until the reign of Henry II that Lancashire became definitely what it still is, the County of Lancaster. Lancashire then is, strictly speaking, a county and not a shire, and it is one of the youngest of the counties. Chapter 2. Lancashire as a whole. In this volume we confine our attention to the northern half of the county only, but before beginning our task it will be well to say a few words about the county as a whole and the relationship of the northern portion to the entire county. The accompanying map shows the boundaries of the whole county and the relationship of that part situated north of the Ribble, which is the subject of the present book, to the whole. The part north of the Ribble is shaded, the greatest length of the entire county along a line drawn from the three Shirestone at Rhinos in the north to near Stockport in the southeast is about 80 miles, while an east and west line from Formby Point to the county boundary east of Rochdale is over 40 miles long. The greatest length of North Lancashire is about 48 miles along a line from the three Shirestone to Preston, while an east and west line from near Blackpool to Stonyhurst College shows a width of about 25 miles. The whole county has an area of 1,203,365 acres, or about 1,880 square miles. That of the northern portion being approximately 462,000 acres, or about 722 square miles. The population of Lancashire by the recent census of 1911 was 4,768,474. Of these people, over 4 million inhabited South Lancashire, and only about 400,000 dwelt in North Lancashire. It will be seen, therefore, that owing to the great number of industrial towns in South Lancashire, and their paucity in North Lancashire, the number of people per square mile is very much less in the northern division than in that south of the Ribble. Lancashire is the sixth county in England as regards size. Yorkshire has nearly three times its area, and Lincolnshire, Norfolk, Devonshire and Northumberland are each a little larger than our county, which is itself about one-twenty-fifth of the size of all England. The shape of the county is very irregular. That of the southern portion is more regular than the rest, being of a roughly oval outline, with the longer axis of the oval extending from west-south-west to east-north-east. This part has few indentations of any size. The Ribble estuary forms a marked indent on the coastline, and north of this river 
the width of the county suddenly contracts as the eastern boundary here advances many miles westward owing to this and the coastal curve of morecambe bay the county south of lancaster is very narrow but widens again to the north of lancaster up the valleys of the loon and wenning near silverdale the county of westmoreland comes to the sea and the rest of lancashire usually spoken of as lancashire north of the sands is therefore detached from the portion which we have already considered this detached portion is very irregular being broken by estuaries on the south and having a somewhat sinuous boundary line inland the county may be divided into the lancashire plain on the west and the high ground on the east much of the plain is in south lancashire but extends north of the ribble where the ground west of a line connecting preston and lancaster belongs to it the high ground is not continuous but is broken up by valleys and by lowlands around morecambe bay the high ground in south lancashire along the boundary between lancashire and yorkshire belongs to the pennine hills to the west of these hills are minor elevations connected with them another tract of high ground in north lancashire lies to the east of the north lancashire plain it is a nearly circular mass of which the eastern part belongs to yorkshire at the northern end of morecambe bay the kent estuary causes the most northerly portion of the county to be absolutely detached from the southern part this northern portion is largely highland part of which belongs to the english lake district the whole county is in contact with five other counties namely cumberland on the north-west westmoreland on the north-east yorkshire on the east derbyshire on the south-east and cheshire on the south the western portion from the mouth of the duddon to that of the mersey is coastline most of the drainage is westward into the irish sea the principal river basins being those of the loon ribble and mersey but about four miles south-west of burnley a very little portion of lancashire is drained by streams which join the yorkshire calder and not the lancashire calder and accordingly their waters are discharged into the north sea by the humber estuary the populous nature of the southern part of the county is due to the large number of industrial centres therein of which manchester and liverpool are chief it has already been noted that but few centres of industry exist in the more sparsely inhabited northern portion manchester is a cathedral city the diocese of manchester includes most of north lancashire while the rest of the northern part of the county is in the diocese of carlisle of which a suffragan bishop takes his title from the town of barrow in furness lancashire is not only a county but a county palatine being so made by edward the third in thirteen seventy six when he conferred the title of duke of lancaster upon his son john of gaunt and gave him royal rights over the county where he afterwards held his court the reigning sovereigns still retain the title of duke of lancaster the duchy of lancaster is not the same thing as the county palatine for possessions of the duchy exist in other counties also the river ribble has been selected as the dividing line between the two portions of lancashire because it forms the southern boundary of a tract of agricultural land which on the whole separates an industrial centre in south lancashire largely dependent on the occurrence of coal from another in north lancashire which is in turn largely influenced by the rich deposits of iron ore it is true that the large town of preston standing on the north side of the ribble 
belongs rather to the South Lancashire Industrial Centre, but apart from this exception, the division is a fairly natural one. Chapter 3. General Characteristics, Position and Natural Conditions North Lancashire consists of a tract of country of very varied characteristics. It lies between 53 degrees 24 minutes and 54 degrees 26 minutes north latitude and 2 degrees 28 minutes and 3 degrees 3 minutes west longitude. It is largely pastoral, though important industrial centres lie in the northwestern portion. The large town of Preston is on its southern boundary and the old capital of Lancaster is near its centre. Physically the area consists one of two fell regions of very different characters, the one lying to the northwest of the estuary of the Kent and the other to the southeast of the lower part of the Loon Valley. Two of a large expanse of low ground extending from the sea to a line drawn north and south from Hest Bank to Preston, and three of minor tracts of low ground bordering the courses of the rivers and fringing the sea coast of the northwestern portion. The fells differ from each other in several respects, which will be considered more fully subsequently, but three types may be noticed. The high and often rocky fells of the Furness district, the bare step-like fells of the southern part of Furness, which extend eastward to Burton and Kellet, and the peat-covered moorlands of the district southeast of Lancaster. The lowlands are very flat, mainly less than a hundred feet above sea level, with tracts of mossland and river flats only a few feet above high tide. Most of the rivers are short and swift, and only navigable in their estuarine portions, save the Loon and the Ribble, which admit small vessels some little distance above the heads of the estuaries. In that part of Lancashire which is included in the Lake District is one large lake, Coniston, and a small one, Esthwaite Water, Moreover, much of the shores of Windermere form Lancashire ground, although the waters now belong wholly to Westmoreland. Several mountain tarns are also found in the same part of the county. The coastline, owing to the indentation of Morecambe Bay, is fairly extensive, and there are important ports and watering places situated upon it. There are no forests, as the word is now understood, though abundant coppice is found, especially in the lower parts of the valleys with thick growths of hazel, birch, willow, alder, ash and oak, and these coppices have had an important bearing upon the industries of part of the district in past times. The climate is mild and the rainfall rather high as compared with that of the whole of England. The scenery of the region is varied, and much of it is very beautiful. The fell region of the higher parts of Furness is especially fine, and the moorlands to the southeast of Lancaster are impressive, and form a marked contrast to the little valleys which indent their margins. With few exceptions, the hills, owing to their generally rounded summits, are somewhat monotonous, but the valleys are in many cases very beautiful. There are miniature but picturesque waterfalls along many of the river courses. The scenery of the coastline is somewhat tame, except around parts of the shores of Morecambe Bay and its estuaries, where the background of fells often helps to afford scenes of great beauty. There is much variety in the river valleys. The wide valleys of the lower parts of the Loon and of the Ribble especially form a marked contrast with the upland valleys of the Duddon and Leven, 
and there is usually much difference of detail between any two valleys. Chapter 4 Shape, Boundaries When reading this chapter, it will be advisable to follow the limits of the northern parts of the county with care upon the map, and the variations in height should be noticed, for the nature of the boundary is of considerable importance as bearing upon the history of the area. The length, breadth and area of the northern part of Lancashire have been stated in chapter 2. As regards its shape, it may roughly be compared to a figure of eight lying obliquely, the northern half of the eight, which constitutes Lancashire north of the sands, being smaller than the southern half. In this comparison, however, all irregularities are disregarded, these having been briefly noticed in chapter 2, and an inspection of the map will give a better idea of them than can be conveyed in words. It must be remembered also that the two halves of the eight are severed by the estuary of the Kent. We may now consider the boundaries, beginning with those of the portion north of the sands. Starting at the three shire stones, the boundary follows the course of the river Brathay to the head of Windermere. It then follows the west side of that lake to the foot, where it turns up the east side, which it follows for about four miles, then over the fells for two miles to the village of Winster, in the valley of that name. It then descends the Winster until it reaches the estuary of the Kent. From the three shire stones to this point, the boundary separates Lancashire from Westmoreland. The southern boundary is along the coast and up the mid-channel of the Duddon and its tributary, Cockley Beck, to three shire stone. It will thus be seen that except at this pass and the little piece of fell between Windermere and Winster, the boundary is formed by water, either river, lake or sea. The boundary of North Lancashire, lying south of the sands, is much more complex. From the mouth of the Kent estuary, it runs in a general easterly direction by an ill-defined and very crooked line to the loon south of Kirby Lonsdale. Crossing the loon, the boundary soon reaches Easegill, up which it continues to the southern slopes of Gragreth. Along this portion also, it separates Westmoreland from Lancashire, but from here to the Ribble, the adjacent county is Yorkshire. The boundary still remains for some distance crooked and ill-defined. It runs down the slopes of Gragreth at a very acute angle to that part lying in the north, so that a very small tongue of Lancashire lies on these slopes. Crossing the river Greta, a tributary of the Loon, and soon afterwards another tributary, the Wenning, it ascends to the watershed of Burn Moor, part of the fell district lying southeast of Lancaster. From the slopes of Gragreth to this point, its trend is nearly south. It now follows the watershed of the high moorland for many miles to a crescentic curve, the concavity of the crescent facing eastward. It leaves the watershed west of Whitwell and descends into the valley of the Hodder, following that river southward to its junction with the Ribble. The Ribble from this point to the sea forms the boundary between North and South Lancashire, and from the mouth of the river to the mouth of the Kent, the boundary of the southern part of North Lancashire is the coastline. Chapter 5. Geology and Soil. Before giving further account of the physical geography of the county, it is necessary to learn something of its geology, as the physical conditions are to a large extent dependent upon geological structure. By geology we mean the study of the rocks, 
and we must at the outset explain that the term rock is used by the geologist without any reference to the hardness or compactness of the material to which the name is applied thus he speaks of loose sand as a rock equally with a hard substance like granite rocks are of two kinds one those laid down mostly under water two those due to the action of heat the first kind may be compared to sheets of paper one over the other these sheets are called beds and such beds are usually formed of sand often containing pebbles mud or clay and limestone or mixtures of these materials they are laid down as flat or nearly flat sheets but may afterwards be tilted as the result of movement of the earth's crust just as you may tilt sheets of paper folding them into arches and troughs by pressing them at either end again we may find the tops of the folds so produced worn away as the result of the wearing action of rivers glaciers and sea waves upon them as you might cut off the tops of the folds of the paper with a pair of shears this has happened with the ancient beds forming parts of the earth's crust and we therefore often find them tilted with the upper parts removed tilted beds are said to dip the direction of dip being that in which the beds plunge downwards thus the beds of an arch dip away from its crest those of a trough towards its middle the dip is at a low angle when the beds are nearly horizontal and at a high angle when they approach the vertical position the horizontal line at right angles to the direction of the dip is called the line of strike beds form strips at the surface and the portion where they appear at the surface is called the outcrop on a large scale the direction of outcrop generally corresponds with that of the strike beds may also be displaced along great cracks so that one set of beds abuts against a different set at the sides of the crack when the beds are said to be faulted the other kinds of rocks are known as igneous rocks which have been melted under the action of heat and become solid on cooling when in the molten state they have been poured out at the surface as the lava of volcanoes or have been forced into other rocks and cooled in the cracks and other places of weakness much material is also thrown out of volcanoes as volcanic ash and dust and is piled up on the sides of the volcano such ashy material may be arranged in beds so that it partakes to some extent of the qualities of the two great rock groups the production of beds is of great importance to geologists for by means of these beds we can classify the rocks according to age if we take two sheets of paper and lay one on top of the other on a table the upper one has been laid down after the other similarly with two beds the upper is also the newer and the newer will remain on the top after earth movements save in very exceptional cases which need not be regarded by us here and for general purposes in our own country we may regard any bed or set of beds resting on any other as being the newer bed or set the movements which affect beds may occur at different times one set of beds may be laid down flat then thrown into folds by movement the tops of the beds worn off and another set of beds laid down upon the worn surface of the older beds the edges of which will abut against the oldest of the new set of flatly deposited beds which latter may in turn undergo disturbance and removal of their upper portions again after the formation of the beds many changes may occur in them they may become hardened 
pebble beds being changed into conglomerates, sands into sandstones, muds and clays into mudstones and shales, soft deposits of lime into limestone, and loose volcanic ashes into exceedingly hard rocks. They may also become cracked, and the cracks are often very regular, running in two directions at right angles one to the other. Such cracks are known as joints, and the joints are very important in affecting the physical geography of a district. As the result of great pressure applied sideways, the rocks may be so changed that they can be split into thin slabs, which usually, though not necessarily, split along planes standing at high angles to the horizontal. Rocks affected in this way are known as slates. If we could flatten out all the beds of England and arrange them one over the other and bore a shaft through them, we should see them on the sides of the shaft, the newest appearing at the top and the oldest at the bottom. Such a shaft would have a depth of between 50,000 and 100,000 feet. The beds are divided into three great groups called primary or Paleozoic, secondary or Mesozoic, and tertiary or Cainozoic and at the base of the primary rocks are the oldest rocks of Britain, which form as it were the foundation stones on which the other rocks rest, and are termed Precambrian rocks. The three great groups are divided into minor divisions known as systems. With these preliminary remarks we may now proceed to give a brief account of the geology of the northern part of our county. In it the following systems are found, and are represented on the geological map at the end of the book recent and pleistocene new red sandstone carboniferous silurian and ordovician the figure on page twenty four shows what is called a geological section drawn across north lancashire from the river duddon through morecambe bay to ribchester east of preston and gives the arrangement of the rocks it represents what would be seen on the sides of a deep cutting if such were made along that line the oldest rocks form the northern part of the county, belonging mainly to the Lake District. This tract extends north of an irregular line drawn through Isleth, Dalton, Cartmel and Lindale. The rocks are known as the Ordovician and Silurian rocks, which are amongst the oldest in the British Isles, or indeed in the world. The Ordovician rocks consist of old lavas and ashes poured out from volcanic vents with a band of impure limestone resting on the top of these rocks, and therefore of a newer age. The tops of the Coniston fells are composed of these rocks, and the limestone, known as the Coniston limestone, runs along the southeast flank of those fells from the head of Windermere to Millam, and reappears, owing to a fold, on the east side of the Duddon estuary. The Silurian rocks are composed of hardened mudstones and sandstones, the former often converted into slates. They form the ground between the line from Windermere to Millam and that from Isleth to Lindale, save in the small patch on the east side of the Duddon estuary where the Ordovician rocks reappear. Owing to a great earth fracture, a small patch of Silurian rocks appears east of Kirby Lonsdale. After the formation of the Ordovician and Silurian rocks, they were upheaved and their tops planed off, and accordingly the succeeding rocks of the county rest on the upturned edges of the more ancient rocks. These newer rocks are known as the Carboniferous rocks, on account of the occurrence within them of coal. Three main divisions are found in the county, namely the Carboniferous limestone, 
or mountain limestone as it is often called at the base the millstone grit in the middle and the coal measures at the top unfortunately only a very small patch of these valuable coal measures is found in our part of the county the carboniferous limestone forms an irregular strip on the north side of morecambe bay and extends eastward to the county boundary on gragreth and owing to a minor fold it reappears at the surface far away to the south between garstang and longridge the rocks consist of a white limestone with some shales associated with them they form prominent features on hampsfell wharton crag and other hills the millstone grit is developed on each side of the loon from near the point where it enters the county to its mouth but is best seen in the high moorlands which lie to the south-east of lancaster it consists chiefly of massive beds of coarse sandstone or gritstone with some shales the coal measures just touch the northern part of the county near black burton though the main mass which belongs to the ingleton coalfield lies in yorkshire after the formation of the carboniferous rocks another movement took place not so marked as that which followed the close of the silurian period the carboniferous rocks became tilted and planed off as the ordovician and silurian were during the earlier movements another set of rocks consisting chiefly of red sandstone was laid upon the older rocks these are divided into two systems an older permian and a newer triassic but the rocks of both the divisions in the north-west of england are very similar and it is convenient to speak of the rocks of the two systems under the name new red sandstone they consist chiefly of sandstones and red clays the most extensive development of these rocks is found in the tract bordering the sea between haysham and the ribble to the west of a line drawn from haysham to a point on the ribble about four miles northeast of preston north of morecambe bay they form the barrow peninsula and walney island a small patch occurs at cark and another of somewhat peculiar character near the village of Westhouse towards ingleton the rocks themselves are usually obscured by superficial deposits these are the newest true rocks found in the area since their formation the work of rivers and glaciers has largely been concerned in cutting out the valleys leaving the intervening portions to project as the fells much of the work has been done by the rivers which are able to saw their way downwards thus deepening the valleys while rain frost and the other agents of the weather cause the material of the valley size to be carried downwards to the streams at the base thus widening the valleys at a time which as compared with the formation of the rocks which we have described is but as yesterday though remote as compared with the beginnings of the human history of our land the district was occupied by masses of ice moving downwards from the upland regions towards the sea and these masses of moving land ice produced well-known characteristic marks in the shape of rocks rounded and polished by their action which are frequent in that part of the county forming a portion of the lake district in addition to this the ice helped to increase the depth and width of the valleys and also left much of the material which it ground down and carried away in sheltered spots and lowland tracks to form the stiff clay sometimes mixed with sand and containing blocks of stone of various sizes which is known as boulder clay this clay occupies much of the lowlands west of the line between hest bank and preston here and there the ice left large blocks 
termed by geologists perch blocks, poised in curious positions on the sides of upland valleys. The lakes and tarns of the district occur in hollows, partly due to excavation by this ice, and partly to blocking of the valleys by deposits of boulder clay or similar material, some being due entirely to one process, some to the other, and others again to a combination of the two. Since the glacial period, the action of the weather caused the upper surfaces of the rocks to be broken up into pieces of various sizes, and parts of the glacial accumulations to be loosened, giving rise to soils. Of course, these are the following five main types, which vary according to the nature of the underlying rocks. In the slate tracks, the character of the soil is dependent upon the glacial accumulations which have in so many places covered the slaty rocks. Where the latter are uncovered by glacial materials, they are often bare of soil. The glacial materials give rise on the whole to a poor, stiff, stony soil, usually wet, though where much sand occurs in the glacial masses, the soil is looser and drier. The mountain limestone, when not covered by glacial materials, is usually bare. Here and there, a short, sweet turf occurs. Where glacial accumulations lie thickly over the limestone, the soil naturally resembles that of the slate tracks, but where the glacial materials are thin, a fairly rich soil may be produced. The millstone grit gives rise to a loose, porous soil, but as much of the country formed of this rock is high fell, there is comparatively little cultivable ground. The fourth type of soil is formed over the new red sandstones. There is often a light sandy loam of a red colour, but on this tract also variations are produced by the presence of glacial materials. The fifth type is found occupying the sites of former lakes, which have been filled in by gravel and silt, and also portions of the estuarine tracks. On these flat areas of lands, there has been, as a general rule, an abundant growth of peat, which yields a rich black soil. With the peat is mixed a variable amount of silt, which causes the soil to be especially valuable. End of chapters 1 to 5